The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. This month, in the September issue of The Atlantic, award-winning staff writer Olga Kassan authored a powerful article entitled The Queen Bee in the Corner Office, in which she addresses why women bully other women in the workplace. We are very fortunate to have Olga as our guest today to discuss this important and somewhat provocative topic. Olga is a staff writer for The Atlantic covering health, gender, and science. Prior to that, she was The Atlantic's global editor. She has also written for The LA Times, The Washington Post, Forbes, and other publications. She is a two-time recipient of the International Reporting Projects Journalism Fellowship, for which she reported from Brazil. Olga Kassan, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. So let's start out with the question, what prompted you to write this article? Well, this is just something that, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of research on um, dynamics in the workplace and uh, kind of, uh, you know, getting ahead in the workplace and getting along in the workplace. And this is just one of those things that kind of always um, surfaces is that, uh, you know, along with the double bind that women face um, in which they're uh, stereotyped for behaving like, uh, you know, either like women, so being too uh, feminine or being too masculine, um, they also, you know, this, this idea of the queen bee comes up and that sometimes the prejudice that women experience in the workplace comes from other women. Hmm. So define for our listeners the queen bee, Olga. What does that term mean? Yeah, so this is this theory that when women um, kind of face uh, discrimination in the workplace or when they feel like there's basically not enough room at the top for women, um, they might start to uh, kind of distance themselves from other women, look down upon other women, um, you know, kind of be reluctant to help and mentor other women because they're, uh, you know, concerned. They don't want to be seen as women in the workplace per se. They just want to be kind of valued for being themselves and for, uh, you know, kind of to be seen as, as kind of a right star in their own right. Mm. Now, when I told people that we were going to be doing the show on the Queen Bee in the Corner Office, women and workplace bullying, I got two extreme responses. Some people said, I don't buy it. A woman said, a woman in finance, she said, I don't buy it. I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I asked another woman who herself was in media and many years ago was the second woman on a major news program, and she said, absolutely, it happened. Mm -hmm. She said she was the one and only, and when I came in, I was not treated well by her. So I wonder, you've done a lot of interviewing. Have you found that extreme also? Um, what I sort of found, so women who, um, I knew that I was going to be quoting them by name and are prominent women didn't really want to be quoted saying anything, um, uh, negative about other women or kind of experiences with women. So they said that this is, uh, you're right, that it's not true and that, that uh, this is all like overblown. Um, but most women that I talked to did have at least one experience with a queen bee um, 
ultimately, even if they overall said that it wasn't a big issue for them or if it wasn't kind of even the primary thing holding them back at work, um, they would still, most would still acknowledge that this at least happened occasionally. Well, I think one of the things that sort of jolted me is when I read your report of the surveys. One of the surveys involved 60,000 managers. Um, and uh, in something like that, we have many, many people reporting that. Is that correct? Yeah, so that was probably the biggest survey on this that's been done. And that one did find that um, that the women uh, were more likely to want a male boss than a female one. Hmm. Now, when they described it in the interviews as to why they would want a male boss as opposed to a female one, at any point did people say, well, it depends on the person, I've had some good support from some, um, or was it just completely negative toward other women? So for the survey, uh, the one that that I just that we just talked about, for that survey, they said that it was because um, women. They kind of relied on some stereotypes. They said it was because women are emotional, catty, or bitchy. Um, but uh, the few women who would actually admit to me that they would rather have a male boss than a female boss, it was usually because they had had a bad experience with a woman in the past, and they um, uh, essentially were worried that it would be kind of worse, even worse with a, with another female boss. Mm, so in other words, they carried the bad experience and sort of generalized from it. Yeah, like there was something about the bad experience that they felt said something about female bosses in general. It's interesting that they're prompted and ready to jump to that generalization. And we're going to talk more about, you know, the culture um, and what you do about the culture if you're a woman. One other thing in your in your research at the beginning of the article that surprised me is you did a study with uh, law firm secretaries. And it really came out that women who were secretaries for females even had tremendous physical distress symptoms but when this was published, there was a tremendous pushback. What do you understand about that? Um, yeah, so so uh, it wasn't a study I did. It's just a study that exists. Uh, this is a survey of uh, law firm secretaries, um, and, and they asked them whether they uh, would like to work for a female partner, and not a single one said she would prefer working for a female law partner. Um, and and they didn't they didn't have physical distress in that. Uh, survey. They, that was in a different survey that there was physical symptoms of distress for uh, women who worked for a female boss compared to those who worked for a man. Um, and I, I mean, what to make of that, I really think it's the same phenomenon, which is that they had maybe one bad experience and they're generalizing it to other uh, female law partners. Um, and the, and there's no uh, kind of theory about the physical distress. Like that, that uh, study is Surprising, but it's also, um, that one's hard to generalize from because it was a little bit random what they found. It's, it's hard to explain. Is that why they asked for a retraction on it or apology? Or That's the only one where I think you, you mentioned that people, you know, had an issue. It was a small study, as you're saying. But I thought, well, does this mean it's real? And in addition, we don't want to talk about it openly. Um, do you think women were, were they apologetic when they were saying this or they wanted it to be known that women don't treat each other well? Uh, the, the physical distress study was not the one where retraction was asked for. That was the, the uh, female law partner, um, the, the law firm secretary study. Yes. Um, yeah. That's the one where a blog post about the study led to a call for a retraction by angry readers of this journal, but they didn't retract it because the survey exists and is real. It is what it is. So there's nothing to retract. Um, and I don't know if the female associates who were respondents in that survey were apologetic or not that I, I just have the survey itself. So I don't, I don't know what their tone was. Mm. Now, after you went from the findings, well, let me first say, so I noticed it was law firms, academia, I think corporate offices, they were the environments um, of, am I right, of most of your interviews? Uh, yes and no. I also interviewed a lot of nurses. Um, I interviewed some teachers. I interviewed some women who work in um, like like retail environments. Um, I, I actually interviewed women from all walks of life. I would oh. say that they were mostly, though, like, uh, I guess there were some blue collar in there. I would say they were mostly white collar, though. 
So did women, I was thinking about the teachers, um, and I was wondering, did teachers report a similar thing for female principals? Um, I only spoke to a few teachers, so I don't actually know, but I think um, I think in teaching there's like, so in nursing the dynamic that kind of prevails is that you have a lot of nurses who are mostly female, and then you have the people in charge who are the doctors who um, oftentimes are male, and so that creates kind of this troubling dynamic that I'm writing about, which is that you have women who feel like they can't break through or that they're all in competition with one another to seem like the best woman, um, and you have men at the top. So that's really why it's so common with nursing. Um, With teaching, I think it would just depend on each individual school. Um, I didn't really talk to enough teachers to get whether this is a widespread problem in teaching or not. Mm. The, the little that I could find was suggesting it had to do with the person. You know, it could be a male or female, but it was it was the person. But again, it, that's a very, very small sample. So yeah. let's, let's go to, you then go from your interviews and this persistent theme to then speaking with a number of psychologists and researchers, almost all of them are women, really trying to find out how do they explain this behavior. I wondered if you could talk about some of those reactions. Yeah, so um, I, I sort of talked to the people who kind of routinely come up in, in these studies and who are kind of the ones who have studied this issue the most, um, kind of one of the first was Robin Eli, um, who, uh, who is now at Harvard, um, but was then at Yale. Um, and she studied law firms also. And she kind of looked at whether at law firms, comparing law firms where there were, um, kind of, uh, no, very few or almost no women in the top positions versus those where women were a little bit better represented. And by that, I mean, I think it's something like 5% or 10, a very small percentage, um, of female partners were, were female. Um, and she did find that the relationships among the women was a lot better when there were slightly more female partners at the top because they didn't feel like they were all kind of like, uh, competing and vying for these top spots in the senior ranks. Um, so that really was the first one that kind of looked at tokenism and kind of found this dynamic um, in law firms. Um, so, so she was sort of the first person I talked to, and then I, I kind of was led to um, everyone else uh, from there. Now, tokenism, could you define that for our listeners? So this is um, like when you when you feel like there are few opportunities for people of your group, you start to feel like your identity is an impediment. Um, so women who look around and see that there's not a lot of uh, of opportunities for women at the top will start to feel like, well, maybe it's not that good to be a woman here, and they'll sort of not join forces or push for like. Uh, you know, equality, they'll just kind of try to push themselves through because they'll see that it's a lot harder to, you know, push for equality rather than just pushing for yourself. Mm. So they they don't tend to think, you know, in numbers we have force. It's interesting that we, we had a, we had Therese um, Hudson on the show in terms of the gender situation in the corporate world. And one thing I remember that she said that made me, that came to mind with this is that there seems to be many more consequences if a woman makes a mistake and she's um, one of the um, bosses or she's one of the partners than if a male does. And I started thinking, so if making a mistake becomes much more jeopardy, um, you're not so safe. And so when you're not safe, um, maybe that really affects how it is that you react to other women and how it is you try to protect yourself. For sure. That's, I mean, being more harshly penalized for mistakes um, is a type of discrimination. And and these studies pretty clearly point to the fact that women who've experienced discrimination, um, they do feel threatened and they feel like, well, there's not a lot of room for me to, you know, approach my boss and say, I think we should, you know, get this young woman, uh, you know, as, as the, you know, lead on this important project because they feel that, uh, you know, they're worried that, that that would be seen as a mistake and that they would be judged harshly for that. So, um, yeah, that definitely plays into it. So you can see how the culture starts to make a difference. Now, when you describe um, uh, Naomi Elmer's definition of this queen bee, one of the things you talked about, which also I think 
I think people would resonate with is that if you if a group is marginalized in a setting, they sometimes then don't identify with each other. They actually would prefer to identify with the, with the major group. And and somehow there's an implication that's what's happening here. Yeah, exactly. So so this is um I, that's she found that with both women and with um, immigrant groups, a small immigrant group in the Netherlands called the Surinamese. Um, so in both cases, when um, and I know that there are issues with priming studies, um, but uh, she did priming where she would kind of tell them about times that women or Surinamese immigrants had been discriminated against, and then they did. They wanted to those individuals wanted to distance themselves from their fellow group members and to kind of stand apart from the crowd. Um, and I think in some cases they were even reluctant to help each other out. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, being marginalized is definitely something that can, can play into this. So you could almost understand Olga, how it starts to get momentum with the, if a culture is a certain way and then you feel marginalized and you don't feel safe and you stop identifying with women, the chances of you supporting another woman become less and less likely. Right, exactly. And that's that's basically what all these studies are pointing to is that these threats that you that women face in the workplace is what makes them kind of these, um, you know, appear to uh, undermine each other or bully each other or at the very least um, distance themselves from one another. Mm. Um, it's an interesting thing in even in working with some military women, they would report they were aware of each other and wanting to support each other but the the push was to show you had the right stuff and if that meant you didn't complain and you didn't complain as a group you didn't complain as a group some even said if there really was a problem even if it was a sexual harassment problem they felt at times more supported by a man he may not go forward with you but he would validate it happened and shockingly, sometimes a woman officer would not. So they came to mind also in terms of safety of setting and how you try to identify with the culture, even at the cost of connecting with, a, you know, with your gender. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's almost exactly what we're seeing here in these other settings that are very male dominated with the military, of course, is a very male dominated um, uh, setting still. Mm. You know, we're going to take a break and then come right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Olga Kassan. She's an award-winning staff writer for The Atlantic, and she's discussing her new article, Queen Bee in the Corner Office. It's about women bullying women in the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're considering adoption, there are a lot of questions that you may have which need to be answered by families that have adopted, by the adoptees themselves, and by professionals. Tune in to Adoption Unscripted with your host, Micah Johnson. We bring you many of the answers you're looking for. There are so many resources and advocates in the field of adoption. It's a life-changing experience across the board. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. 
What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Olga Kassan, award-winning staff writer for The Atlantic, and we're talking about Queen Bee in the Corner Office, women bullying each other in the workplace. And Olga, one of the things that um, I wondered about is, do you think that as women when we are in a place that may be largely male-dominated, we don't quite know how to be assertive, so we become aggressive. This is People have described women attorneys as becoming aggressive to hold their own. I wonder if that's true with women bosses. And the result is that then people really have an issue with them as being problematic leaders. Right, exactly. So this is called the double bind. And it's essentially just that women have to be aggressive in order to get ahead um, or to be seen as the boss. Um, But when they actually behave that way, people are like, oh, you're such a, you know, a bitch or whatever else. Um, So, so, you know, essentially you can't win. Um, So uh, Lori Rudman has done a lot of work on this. And I kind of talk about her her uh, research and for example, so she would look at women, um, you know, would give honest feedback uh, that was kind of neutral um, and men who did the same thing and women were considered less likable and less hireable, um, like less likely to be hired than the men, even if they said the exact same thing, even if, and and that feedback was just like kind of like neutral, not necessarily even mean or anything. Um, So it is really hard for women to be tough. And that really raises a lot of questions for people. Like when they experience what they think might be um, a queen bee issue is, uh, you know, is this really a queen bee thing? Or is this just that I'm judging this woman more harshly, my female boss more harshly because she's a woman? You know what also fits with this, and here's where we were talking about situations matter and this culture. One of the things, the other things Therese Hudson said in her her book on women making decisions in the corporate world was men and women are different. So in somewhat of a situation where decisions have to be made, men become very strong and assertive. Women have all the data. They've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and sometimes they're seen as um, overdoing, nervous, not sure of themselves, not confident, when that's really just more of their style. Actually, that's her point of why we need men and women in the corporate world. But it's Mm -hmm. almost like there's a tendency to see the corporate world only in male colors. And so when women bring their piece in, it's not well received, so they have this fallback mean position or this fallback, um, okay, abandon your way of doing things position, which actually does backfire. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think that's a really, um, a really interesting way to understand female managers. I mean, and granted, I've never been a, a really a female manager. I've like been in charge of an intern, so I don't, uh, <laughs> I can't say I know from experience, but I think, um, it's fair to say that, you know, you come in and it's like, maybe your natural personality is to be more, uh, motherly or more like kind of gentle with your um, direct reports. Um, But let's say that doesn't really go over well in your company culture, Um, you know, that really, uh, you know, they prefer that you're more kind of uh, intense or aggressive. Um, So that's what you shift to just so you can kind of fit in with the company overall. And of course, that ends up backfiring for you, but not for your male uh, coworkers who are bosses. Right. The the um, it, it was so interesting. One of the studies, the Kim Esler study, 
um, this this I think listeners will find interesting. Correct me if I if I don't have this um, exactly right. So they asked men and women, "Do you like your present boss?" And there was an equal choice by men and women that you know of choosing men or women. But as soon as they then asked, hypothetically. Would you prefer, by gender, a male or female boss? The women, more women chose men than they chose women. Yeah, so essentially what, um, we don't know exactly what's going on in Kim Elsasser's study because they didn't really figure out, like, why is it that the people switched over once it went from being general to specific? But essentially what she found is that people are kind of biased against female bosses, including women. Women are biased against female bosses. Um, but when people ask, uh, you know, do you like your current boss? They didn't really have a gender preference. It didn't really seem like the female bosses were worse. Um, so it could just be that, uh, you know, women are kind of internalizing some of these societal biases against female bosses and saying that, um, you know, they'd, they'd prefer a male boss just because, you know, everything they see in the culture, everything that, um, uh, you know, is is portrayed out there kind of paints female bosses in a really bad light. I think there seems no doubt that there's a kind of unconscious internalization of the culture. You and I were laughing about the names of these books that are things like nice girls don't get the corner office, play it like a man. This is an interesting one. Play it like a man, win like a woman, uh, got to being a boss without being a bitch. So there's certainly a kind of cultural uh, suggestion that um, you can't be nice. You're not seen as smart, efficient, effective, or powerful if you're nice. Yeah, I mean, it's those books are so so some of their advice was kind of interesting. um, But some of it was I was just like, wow, I don't really know what I would uh, take away from this. Um, But it is they do sort of start with the premise that you cannot just be yourself and be a successful woman boss, you have to do all this other stuff that we're going to describe for you in this book and act this exact way and say this exact thing and dress in some cases like this exact way. And it's just funny because you could never imagine like, how to be a boss as a man you know the book uh oh just be sure you wear this color and not this color and be sure you sit at the table this way and not like this you know because it's already kind of assumed that men will do fine at being the boss because uh male bosses are what we're all kind of used to so i don't know i just think it's it's funny that uh like we just start from the premise now that that women need um like coaching on their personality uh, in order to like have any kind of power. <laughs> yeah, that's that that that's one of our issues. And the other, and I know it's underscored so many times, is women who've made it who say, "Well, I'm one of the guys. I'm, I'm not like this." So as soon as you say, "I made it because I'm one of the guys," whether you're an athlete or you're in a corporate office, you've disqualified women from having that kind of power and being not one of the guys. You know, unwittingly, you've sort of left out the rest of the crowd. Yeah, and I tried to to point that out is that, you know, the women who say like, well, I get along with men better, all my friends are guys or whatever else. I think they think they're being chummy or I don't know, just that they're breaking the mold. And it's good to break the mold for sure, if that's your true personality. But don't then go and say like, and this is proof that, that, you know, that men are better and that that being like one of the men is better because there's a lot of women out there who are not like one of the guys and, you know, they just act like women and, and that's, that's should be fine too. <laughs> now, have you, in your experience uh, in journalism, come across a woman who's just herself and holds her own? Who's just her? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I have actually. So, yeah, I have, I have a really terrific uh, a female boss right now. Um, I've had really terrific female uh, editors, and um, yeah, so I would say that this is not. Uh, yeah, another really important takeaway from my piece is that that not this is does not apply to every single female boss out there, um, and that you know especially women who are cognizant of these issues and um, are aware when they're you know behaving um, unfairly um, can definitely avoid being queen bees. Um, so this is not to to paint all all female bosses with a, a negative brush. Mm. Now, I think one of the stories you tell in the article is your own experience, maybe earlier on, of facing a difficult woman. I'm not sure what, if you stayed in that job, maybe you can share that to to sort of put a little personal perspective in. 
Yeah, I definitely can't share any more details about that than what's in the oh, article. That's fine. Um, but, uh, but what's in the article is sort of just that, um, yeah, I once worked with a woman who uh, was a bit of a queen bee. Um, and it did. It did really affect me. Um, it really shook my confidence uh, in myself. Uh, and it was a really uh, difficult time. Um uh, you know, but then I sort of what I think about kind of everything she must have faced uh, in her career, in her early career. Um, I, I think I this writing this article gave me a lot of perspective on what she must have gone through and how that might have affected her and how that might have shaped um, the way she went on to treat um, to treat me and, and possibly other people. Mm hmm. And did you actually, le- a number of your people, you described stories of people who actually decided, that's it, I'm out of here. Um, and so you persisted, you even at sometimes sort of give her some empathy and say, well, I guess she started, you know, at a time different than I. I mean, maybe that's another way to handle this is to try to see or expand the position of the woman who is acting completely uh, nasty or at times a little bit too overpowering is to, you know, is to look at her from her perspective and, and this being much more fear, stress, and desperation that's being displaced onto everyone around her. Yeah, I mean, so actually having empathy uh, for your queen bee boss is a, as a top as a kind of suggestion that I heard from a coach, uh, during my interviews with the career coaches for this. Um, and, but what they would do is a little bit more straightforward. So it's more like, instead of, you know, let's say your, um, boss says something to you in a, in a meeting, like, I can't believe you don't already have this done or just something kind of rude. Um, or if she just gets mad at you for speaking up, uh, you know, feels like you're stealing her thunder or something like that. Um, you know, she really suggested something like, oh, I see it's like difficult for you when I speak up and, uh, you know, I see that it's hard for you when I voice my opinion in meetings. How can I, you know, make this cause less trouble for you? Um, I mean, it's pretty like transparently obsequious. Like, I, I don't know if anyone would kind of be fooled by the fact that you're just trying to be as, um, you know, uh, conciliatory as possible. Um, but at the same time, you know, confronting people by saying you're a huge queen bee, uh, please stop, you know, tormenting me. I don't know if that would be effective either. So it's definitely something to try. (laughs) Well, what I, the value I see in the first possibility, which is, you know, I can see my comments upset you. I'm not sure how to position myself is you're really sending the message. I, I'm feeling it. I want you to know what I'm feeling, but I'm going to stay in a respectful place with you and ask, how do I handle it? I think what it does is open up, you know, the impact she's having on you without joining into an aggressive counterposition. So I I think it's worth it. It's certainly worth a try. You know, another situation that came up, and I think I want to share it because I think women can help other women in this, and that is... Someone recently described to me a situation in a um, in a place that provides services for women, in which a woman had earned um, she earned the right to be, let's say, on a uh, to have her own chair in a salon. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as she moved to that position, she began to be extremely nasty and bossing of anyone who wasn't at that level. And it was a senior person, someone who has tremendous experience in the field, who sort of quietly said to her, do you remember how you worked in the position and shampooing and da-da-da, you know, different things? Well, they still are there, but I don't know how good they feel about the way you're treating them. So there was an intervention actually from someone even more senior to this young woman who worked very hard to get that chair. But I think that sometimes women mentoring can t- help tone down this. If I have, a, if I've risen in the food chain, it means I can become more bossy. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you are able to delicately, you know, flag that for a female coworker, I definitely think that's worth a try. I think it all depends in that case on how tactful and diplomatic the individuals are in the situation. Um, Because I could see that coming over really negatively or really, you know, being taken really well. It kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really an interesting thing in terms of finding a way, but I think that um, women talking about it, and one of the things your article does is bring it to the forefront. Uh, we're almost out of time in this section, but I wanted to ask, it kept occurring to me, as women described being dealing with what they would describe as a bitchy boss, were they ever mentioning in tandem with that And let me tell you, the men around here are not too nice either, or the harassment thing is not so easy here. Or was that really, Olga, out of the conversation completely? It kind of depended. Some some of the women would say that their male bosses were just as tough, um, that it was just like kind of a toxic workplace. Um, But a lot of them actually surprisingly said that the male bosses they worked with were fine and the women were really difficult to work with. Mm. One thing I think you mentioned, I'll just quickly say it, that I thought really rang true is women maybe are so startled that women are not supporting them or are not bonding with them, women to women, that maybe it feels worse coming from a woman. I think so. I think a lot of it is this expectation that you'll have female mentors. And then when you don't, it feels really hurtful. Mm. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Olga Kassan. She's the award-winning staff writer for The Atlantic. Her new article, Queen Bee in the Corner Office, we've been discussing women bullying women. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. This is Psych Up Live, and we're, we've been having a terrific conversation with Olga Kassan. She's the staff writer from The Atlantic, her new article, Queen Bee in the Corner Office. And we're just trying to look a little bit closer 
on what would prompt some of the woman-to-woman bullying and what might we do to really soften this, shift this, or how can you cope if you are in these places? Over one of the things that um, we sort of touched on at the break that maybe really does make sense here to consider is everything you read about women is that, you know, they're supposed to know it all, do it all, have the perfect marriage, somehow have a dinner on the table, and also be the corporate lawyer. And most people have found that just isn't so easy. Uh, it's it's very, very difficult to juggle it all. So the question that we sort of hinted at is, could it be that part of what we see in some of the corporate, even the academic world, is extremely stressful, the need to publish, etc. Um, do you think we're seeing some of women's own stress and pain that somehow gets displaced onto people around them? I think so. I mean, I think that's one of the things that um, Shannon, the woman from my um, uh, from the top of the story, kind of talked about, which is that some of these women just seem so uh, stressed by everything they had to do and were so overwhelmed that they just kind of didn't have time to mentor other women or care about other women or, uh, you know, think about equality in the workplace because they were just trying to get through their day and get home before, you know, in time to see their kids before they could go to bed. Um, So definitely, I think in situations where women already feel like they're running out, you know, flat out trying to get everything done that they need to, they're not going to have a lot of energy left over for, you know, am I sure I'm being equal to, you know, all the genders of my direct reports and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely a factor. Well, if you know you have three kids at home waiting, you don't feel like mothering anybody, <laughs> yeah. you know, anybody else. The other piece to that that you mentioned is, you know, maybe the other question is if you're starting to feel in one of these settings, because it's, it's interesting even in education, we have the majority of teachers are women. We have probably a half and half split with principals. Once you get to the top, top position, superintendent, we don't have many women at all. One of my friends was one. It was not so easy, but she certainly held her own. But so when we think about what we call the glass ceiling in different lines of work, and now some people call uh, the glass cliff where you're there until you make the first mistake and then you're done. Um, could that be creating such a sense of pessimism or a kind of demoralization that that is part of the fallout that we see women displace onto other women? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that all comes comes in line with um, with discrimination. I mean, that those are all forms of the glass cliff and the, and the glass ceiling are both forms of discrimination. And I think very much so the, the studies on the queen bee theory show that discrimination might be one of the factors that causes this. Mm. Now, in terms of you've done so many studies in terms of gender and science, does this particular article and your findings here fit with the other work you've done and the other articles you've done, Olga? Uh, so it fits with the other work that I've done in that women just have a really hard time getting ahead at work. Uh, and this is sort of a different, uh, look at it of, uh, which is the kind of issues they might face with other women. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it definitely kind of, um, underline or underscores the challenges that, that executive women have in the workplace. Um, uh, but I think where it's a little bit different is that it looks at ways that, um, marginalized groups can sometimes uh, lack unity or um, have problematic dynamics within themselves as opposed to just, um, you know, everyday sexism, which is something that, of course, women also have to deal with. Well, we really raise the whole question when we talk about marginalized groups is how do we help them use each other to support and to change some of the marginalization, and that's a very difficult thing to do. But I think one of one of your people said, "You can't. We can't have queen bees. We have to have hives, meaning we, you know, we have to join together in some way." The other thing that you said, though, is when you say it's very difficult for women in, in the workforce. Do you think some of those difficulties are getting played out in the gender uh, bias? Uh, what do you mean? 
Well, for instance, if I'm a woman, a woman who I think you mentioned doesn't feel really too optimistic or the demands are just rel- relentless, I don't think I can do this and raise my kids. I don't think I could, even though I was top of my class in law school or, or whatever position I come into this with feeling I'm pretty good, uh, I can't do this. And that is demoralizing. And is do we need to support women doing what they're doing as a way to eventually reduce some of this woman-to-woman bullying? Yeah, so some of the research talks about how women who feel optimistic about their career prospects are less likely to tear one another down. Um, I think a study by Elmers, one of the researchers in the in the um, story, it, it talks about how um, you know women who don't feel a conflict between their personal lives and their work lives are um, might be less likely to become queen bees. Um, so yeah, there are definitely ways where if you if if you don't set up these dynamics that cause women to behave this way, then you won't see this behavior for sure. Mm. So from all that you read and even your own experience, what would you recommend to young women coming out of law school, coming out of the major, um, uh, the Sloan school and, and the schools that um, associated with finance or even going into um any type of feel, what would you recommend as a way to um, navigate the situation? Yeah, so for I think a lot of these things will mostly come up with women who have a few years of experience just because experiencing discrimination in the workplace is one of the things that contributes to the queen bee uh, behavior. Um, so, so it's not really something that young women fresh out of law school or business school would necessarily um, start to exhibit. Um, but you know, one thing that a career coach told me that I thought was really good advice is that to kind of, you know, um, extinguish, I guess, conflicts before they start. Um, if you are someone who is working with a coworker and you feel like there's only room for one of you at the top and you're both women and the other one of you gets something that, uh, the other person wanted, you know, and you're jealous of them, just say you're jealous. So this career coach really said that like, if you feel jealous of someone, just say, oh, I'm so jealous. That's great. Um, because that's true. That's a true emotion. And people love to hear that you're jealous of them. I mean, that just uh, reinforces the fact that they got something good. You're being honest. So you're not hiding your feelings or trying to, um, you know, act chipper when you're not. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a good way to shut down those conflicts that might be brewing. It all It's a wonderful example, and it's a good way to shut down the rift and the separation that leaves people isolated. So if you and I are working together and I say, I'm so jealous that your articles are getting much more attention than mine, we could still go have lunch. You yeah, know, we, exactly, exactly. So there's not this, this hidden agenda that, that, that either of us are carrying. Um, I also wonder, and a few people in your article did it, I liked your suggestion of trying in some way that doesn't come across as begging and also doesn't come across as a retaliation, addressing the person who keeps at it or keeps demeaning you. And now that's easier said than done. And then the other question becomes, this is, this is your life. And so at some point, you might need to decide, I don't think this is the place for me. I think people I've seen in the academic world, because I've been in that world for many, many years, people decide, I can't really work with this advisor on my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's terrifying to make the switch. I remember making the switch myself, and actually a switch from a man to a woman. And But I, I sort of knew the demands with him were going to be off the charts and mm-hmm. our, 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 our theories and our interests weren't that similar but I think sometimes giving yourself the entitlement to use your gut and know this is not likely to change or you have some decision making on some level that's not a bad thing to help you as you pursue your career. Yeah and a lot of women did leave their jobs because of this and they just decided that it's not um, that it wasn't worth it. I mean, um, uh, one of my friends who I call Catherine in the piece left her job ultimately because she worked for kind of a queen bee boss. Um, and it was sad, but you know, she's happier now. And, um, you know, it's, it, she really just couldn't find a common ground with her. And none of these little tips of, 
you know, saying I'm so jealous or, you know, do, doing whatever else really worked. So sometimes, yeah, you just have to take advantage of the fact that, you know, hopefully you, you are in a position where you can look for another job. Because in the end, what we do a lot of working in the lifetime we lead. So let me ask you then, um, I want to thank you for this article, which I loved from the moment I read it in terms of how it raises our consciousness about women. Uh, what would your take-home message be to our male and female listeners? Well, for men, I mean, definitely. Um, so there's something, I don't know if it made it into the article, but there's a lot of research on how men set up loyalty tests, which is um, by trying to pit women against one another. Um, and that definitely makes the queen bee dynamic worse because then the women start to see each other as rivals when they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. So that's one thing for men. Um, and for women, it's just, I would say, awareness and being aware that this kind of thing happens um, and how harmful it can be um, and to really be on the lookout for it and to try not to fall, fall victim to it. Oh, terrific. Ogar, I know that people might, you have you have many wonderful articles. Um, how would people find your work and your website? Um, it's, it, uh, so my personal website's just uh, olgahazan.com, but um, they can go to The Atlantic, and uh, it's on newsstands now. So if you go to a newsstand, you can buy The Atlantic, or you can go online and uh, find it there. And it is surrounded by some other great articles. Once I went there, I was copying and, and printing out many of your articles. They're really terrific. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I think you raise an issue we need to hear about. Men need to hear about it. Women do. Um, women need to find a way to be the best they can be um, together and in, in, in many different careers. So thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, on Voice America's site, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on, on iTunes under Voice America, on Sketcher, and many more. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, mostly, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 